Well, it's good to have you guys here this morning. Uh, I'm thankful to be here as well. I want to start off with some sad news. As I've shared before with you and have had you praying for my family, my cousin's husband who had cancer, he passed away last week. And she actually sent me a text just this morning asking if we could pray for them. Uh, she said, I, we've always felt uh, the prayers that you guys have given. And so I'd like to take a moment as we just go into this morning to not only pray for our time together, but to lift my family up in prayer, if you would join me. Father, you are the God who sees. You are the God who hears. And you are the God who cares. And Father, we thank you that you are our God. And Lord, I do lift up my cousin Karen, my niece Jessica, and my family who has now lost just a wonderful and beautiful human being. And Lord, we ask for strength, comfort, peace, and Father, an awareness of you in the midst of this difficult time. And so I pray for Karen, Lord, and I ask that you would enlighten her heart and the eyes of her understanding to your love, your goodness at this time. And I pray for the upcoming memorial service, Lord, that it would be an opportunity for you to shine brightly in the lives of all those who were be who would be there, Lord. And we thank you again for your voice that is always speaking and always declaring your goodness, your love, your mercy, and Lord, how much you have done through your son Jesus for us. Lord, I pray that voice would be clear. And I pray your voice would be clear this morning as well as once again we look at the stories in your scripture that are pregnant with truth, that are there waiting to give birth into our lives of your magnificence and your wonder. And so may our hearts be open, may our minds be attentive, may we once again fight off distraction so that through everything else we can hear your voice and not only would we hear it, but would we allow it to take root in our own souls and produce something that would be enduring in our lives. For we pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you would turn with me to the book of Genesis, we're going to go through chapters... 42 through 44 this morning. I know that's a lot, but it's ju you just can't stop this story. It really needs to go to chapter 45, but I just couldn't do it because you got to stay in 45 for like a week or something. You just got to live there. We won't, but we just have to take that on its own. But 42 to 44 is one of the most powerful, we're leading up to one of the most powerful stories, I think, in all of Scripture. And as we're going into this, I just want to just bring some thoughts that I had as I was reading this and thinking about it. 
And one of the thoughts that came to my mind was that of Jeremiah chapter 13. In verse 23, he says, Can an Ethiopian change the color of his skin or a leopard its spots? And neither can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. And that's a haunting verse, isn't it? The idea that if you're accustomed to evil, you just can't change and can't change and was the prophet trying to to lock us in or was he trying to to lead us out was he trying to make us aware of just this is how it is or was he trying to make us aware of this is how it is is this how it's going to be in other words are you going to continue stuck and the question that comes to my mind is can people change because sometimes it feels like they just can't. And maybe you know some people, or even worse, maybe you feel that way in your own life. Have you ever been there and you just feel like, man, I, I just need to be a different person, but I find myself being this same person over and over again. And how can I get out of this rut? How can I get out of this pit? Is it true? Just like an Ethiopian can't change the color of their skin and a leopard can't change their spots, if I'm just accustomed to doing evil, is this who I will be forever? And you see, in this story that we're going to go over Today, we get a glimpse into the theology of this idea. Can people change? And as I've been telling you, the theology in Genesis isn't written out like an encyclopedia, go and look up, you know, redemption under R. The, the theology of Genesis is dynamic. It's living. It's shown in the lives of people. And we read the story, we're drawn into the story, and then we embrace and understand what is being shared. And it makes it more powerful because we see that it is alive, that it is working and we see how it works in the lives of these people. And so we're going to start off and we're going to read chapter 42, 1 through 29 to begin with. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? Such a dad thing to say. If you have boys and you need something done, <laughs> the trash is overflowing, you know, why are you just looking at each other, okay? I love it. Why do you keep just looking at each other, he continued. I've heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Then ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin. Remember, Benjamin was Joseph's younger brother. Benjamin was from the same mother as Joseph was. He was the youngest. Remember, Joseph was Jacob's favorite. And we're getting another glimpse into that. He wouldn't send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So you immediately ask, what, you weren't afraid about us? What about us? Harm coming to us? That's just how it is. 
Remember, the scriptures is declaring the truth as it was there. And right now we're not getting the commentary. The commentary plays out. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, for there was a famine in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph, seen change, was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? He asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to see where the land is unprotected. No, my lord, they answered. Your your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. I wonder how that played in Joseph's mind. Honest men? Were you honest when you threw me in a pit? Were you honest when you sold me to that caravan as a slave? What did you tell my father when you went back? Are you honest men? No, he said to them, verse 12, you have come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, your your servants were 12 brothers, the son of one man who lives in Canaan. The youngest is now with our father and, and one is no more. Hmm. Joseph said to them, it is just as I told you, you are spies. And this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your number to get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. If you are not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them all in the custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, so we can tell that that stuck in his mind. If you're really honest men, three days later, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving household. But you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. They said to one another, Surely we are being punished because of our brother. Interesting thing to think of, right? We're being pun- What brother are they talking about? They're talking about Joseph. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come on us. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an account, accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. He turned away from them and began to weep, but then came back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon take from them the ba- and take taken from them and bound before their eyes. Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, to put each man's silver back in his sack and to give them provisions for their journey. After this was done for them, they loaded their grain on their donkeys and left. 
At the place where they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey. And he saw his silver in the mouth of his sack. My silver has been returned, he said to his brothers. Here it is in my sack. Their hearts sank. And they turned to each other trembling and said, What is this that God has done to us? When they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them. Joseph, now in a place of prominence in Egypt, has the largest stockpile of grain in the world at that time. Brothers in Canaan, family in Canaan starving, have to go and get this grain. And as the scene shows these contrasts, we we see that this event is a fulfillment of the dream that Joseph had years ago when his brothers would bow down to him. And he had no problem about sharing that dream all those years ago. In fact, it instigated this attitude because Joseph was one of Jacob's favorites, gave him that coat, you know, that was special, technicolor, dream coat, whatever. It was just, it was the thing. It also was a symbol of prestige and authority. And as we see this, we see them come and then what an emotional moment as Joseph recognizes his brothers. They don't recognize him because he's been Egyptified, okay? We saw that even when he was brought into Pharaoh, that they changed his dress and they made him look like an Egyptian. And these years have now passed where they assume, you know, you would not expect to see your brother again. But he sees them. And whether he recognized one at first or them all together, all of a sudden the awareness, oh my gosh, these are my brothers. Oh my gosh, that dream that I had, this is it. They're bowing down to me. And as they don't recognize him, he takes full advantage of this moment. And what Joseph is doing here, as he plays these little tricks on them, as he's putting these pranks to them, as he sends them away and he thinks on this for three days, what am I going to do? We see that he wants to know if you're really honest. And he's, what, he, what he's trying to find out is, have you changed? Have you really changed? Or are you those same evil brothers that dealt with me treacherously? And if you dealt with me that way, wonder what you're going to do to my younger brother. And it's so interesting, isn't it? When when this happens to them, their first reaction is, God is dealing with us because of what we did to Joseph. Remember how he pleaded with us. Remember, and then, you know, Reuben, well, I told you guys not to. You know, thank you, Reuben. Thank you very much. It's a little late now. Isn't it amazing when tragedy hits where our minds go? And we think of our shortcomings and we think, this is happening to me because I have failed to do things the right way. I have failed God. I've sinned and so that's why I'm sick. Or I did this. I didn't treat this person well and that's why I lost my job. And this happened to me and immediately our minds are aware of all those 
faults in our life, they just start hitting us one by one, or maybe one stands out above all of them, but we are so aware of what we lack. That it's like a weight that has always been there, but all of a sudden it shows up in our thoughts immediately. When the tragedy hits, comes the thought, I deserve this. This is what I deserve. Because of who I am, because of how I live, this I'm getting what's coming to me. And there seems to be this awareness. Now, the the amazing thing is for years, his brothers were just living their life. Who knows what they were thinking? We saw a little glimpse of Judah, right? And that little contrast between Judah and Joseph. And some of that played on for years. But we see he went on living his life, apparently. But it didn't go away. The wrong they did to Joseph didn't just disappear. And something we have to recognize is that the things that we do, the memories have a place in our life and in our minds. They don't just disappear. And the things that we do and the things that happen to us aren't just erased like a whiteboard or a chalkboard. You don't just go, okay, that's done with, it's gone. No, some of those things stay there. And then they show up. And then we have to deal with them. And that's exactly what's happening here. He's wanting to find out, have you changed or not? Whether there's really truth in you or not. So he throws them in prison thinks on it, after a while, he's going to send them home except for one of them. And so as they begin to think and recognize these things, we learn that he's being really deceptive. He's talking through an interpreter. He's keeping himself incognito. And he's learning information. He learns that Reuben tried to protect him, but they didn't listen. And as Joseph cries... It's a reminder of just the emotion that's there in him as well. Because as he hears the story, it touches him and it moves him. So that he has to compose himself and go back to this place. And so as they're now dealing with this, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Their perspective at that moment is blind. They're not sure what is happening, where they're going. And so they have to go back with this information. We had to leave one of your sons, Dad, because of this event. And so in chapter 42, we're going to continue. And we're just going to start at verse 36, 36 and 38, as we see this play out, as they tell their father what happened to them. Verse 36, it says, Then their father Jacob said to them, You have deprived me of my children. Joseph, you have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you want to take Benjamin? Everything is against me. Then Reuben said to his father, You may put both of my sons to death if I do not bring him back to you, and trust him to my care. And I will bring him back. Now, thanks, Reuben. Not only will I lose my sons, I'll lose two of my grandsons as well. 
not really a great plan. And so we start seeing Reuben's lacking something here, okay? Maybe he's dropped. I don't know. You know, Reuben is just, he's not thinking clearly. He's not really making the plea. Just like his arguments before didn't seem to change things, his argument isn't very powerful here. Verse 38, but Jacob said, my son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead and he is the only one left. If harm comes to him on the journey that you're taking, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrow. And so we see Jacob's favoritism once again with Benjamin. I can't let him go. I can't. It will kill me. Your offer, Reuben, didn't sway me. I don't want to deal with it. And so he goes on. It ends with his statement that my son will not go with you. To lose him, it would destroy me. But life goes on. They eat the grain. And the story continues. Verse, or in chapter 43 says, now the famine was severe in the land. So when they had eaten all the grain they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, go back and buy us a little more food, as if everything had changed. Okay, denial, I guess it is a re- river in Egypt, but he's not really thinking about what's happening, Right? But Judah said to him, the man warned us solemnly, you will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother along with us, we will go down and buy food for you. But if you will not send him, we will not go down because the man said to us, you will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. Israel asked, why did you bring this trouble on me by telling the man you had another brother? They replied, The man questioned us closely about ourselves and our family. Is your father still living? He asked us, do you have another brother? We simply answered his questions. How are we to know? He would say, bring your brother down here. Can't you feel family in this? Then Judas said to Israel, his father, send the boy along with me. And we will go at once so that we and you and our children may live and not die. I myself guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. If you do not bring him back, if if I do not bring him back to you and set him here before you, I will bear the blame before you all my life. As it is, we had not delayed. We could have gone and return twice. And what we start to see here is that Judah is stepping up and actually taking the initiative and the responsibility. Judah now becomes the spokesperson. Judah now becomes the person who answers this question. And he doesn't say, I'll give my sons. He says, I'm responsible. Judah answered that it's impossible to get an audience with him. And this speech is going to seal the deal. Jacob has to risk Benjamin or else they will all die. And that's exactly what he says. In verse 13, he goes on and he says, Take your brothers also and go back to the man at once. 
And may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, the man, so that he will let your brother and Benjamin come back with you. As for me, if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. And before that, in verse 11, it says, Take the man some gifts, a little balm, a little honey, some spices and myrrh, some pistachio nuts and almonds. And we see that some of those things are actually the same things that they got for Joseph. And so there's irony being built up. Take these things. Well, these are the things we received when we sold Joseph, and now we're taking them back. And oh, the things that must be going on through their mind when they get those things and they say, oh my gosh, we're going to be giving these things. These are the things we received for our brother, and now we're losing them. We've lost more than we ever received because of what we have done. And as they recognize these things, at this point, we see a link to that caravan. Joseph's brothers sold him for these things, for the silver. Now they get these things back. They're repeating Joseph's journey. And like Joseph, it seems that they are destined to become slaves in Egypt. And so Jacob sends them off with this benediction. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man so that he will let your brother and Benjamin come back to you. Sounds good. And then he adds, as for me, I am bereaved. I am bereaved. He entrusted their fate to El Shaddai, God Almighty. Yet his outlook is fatalistic and despairing. Isn't that interesting? And isn't that so like us? God, I trust you. Oh, but man, we doubt. But I wonder... Maybe that's the only way to trust God, that our trust in him holds and is independent of the outcome. In other words, I trust you no matter what happens. As Job said, though he slay me, yet will I praise him. Maybe this is really the only trust there is, that in spite of whatever happens, I trust. Isn't that difficult? Isn't that hard when we have to let go and say, I don't know the outcome, but I still trust you. I may lose my son here, but I still trust you. What I love dearly may fall. It may be destroyed, but I still trust you. Maybe that's really the only way faith can take place. It's not predicated on if I will get what I want, if I will get what's good for me. No, I will trust that you are good no matter what the circumstances. Maybe that's maturity. Maybe that's really what is taking place here. In verse 19, the story continues. So they went up. To Joseph steward and spoke to him at the entrance of the house. We beg your pardon, our Lord, they said. We, we came down here the first time to buy food, 
but at the place where we stopped for the night. We opened our sacks and each of us found his silver, the exact weight in the, the mouth of the sack. So we have brought it back with us. We have also brought additional silver with us to buy food. We don't know who put our silver in our sack. It's interesting. The first thing that they start immediately, they try to just, hey, I don't know how the silver that we gave you came back to us. We didn't take it honestly. We really didn't, just wanting to come clean. It's amazing how, man, they're just being so transparent right now, right? And you start to see something is changing. They are giving information that wasn't asked for them. They are being very vulnerable here. And so they tell him, hey, listen, we don't know what happened. Verse 23, it's all right, he said. Don't be afraid, Your God, the God of your father, has given you treasure in your sacks. I received your silver. Then he brought Simeon out to them. The steward took the men into Joseph's house, gave them water to wash their feet, and provided fodder for their donkeys. They prepared their gifts for Joseph's arrival at noon because they had heard that they were to eat there. When Joseph came home... They presented to him the gifts they had brought into the house, and they bowed down before him to the ground. He asked them how they were, and then he said, How is your aged father you told me about? Is he still living? And you hear the glimpse in Joseph's voice. This isn't just find out information. This is still his father. They replied, "Your, Your servant, our father, is still alive and well. And they bowed down, prostrating themselves before him. As he looked about and saw his younger brother, his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son, he asked, Is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room and wept there. The emotion doesn't go away. This event is overwhelming for Joseph because it's connected to his life. It's connected to his history. He wasn't just a a little boy when they sold him. He had lived for some 20 plus years with them and this all happened to them. The hurt is there. The desire for home is there. The recognition of my brother is there. And it comes up. You can't stop it sometimes. It overwhelms him. He has to leave and he has to cry. There are times you have to cry. There are times where you cannot hold it in and to hold it in is to betray what is taking place in you. Sometimes the best thing you can do is cry. And as he goes and he cries, we see in verse 31, after he washed his face, he came out controlling himself, said, serve the food. They served him by himself, the brothers by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves because Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews for that is detestable to Egyptians. And we're seeing a glimpse into what will happen in Exodus when they become slaves. Then men had been seated before him The men had been seated before him in the order of their ages, from the firstborn to the youngest, and they looked at each other in astonishment. He's messing with their minds now. 
He purposefully is. He has them sit down and remember, in their life, genealogy in that order is very important. Eldest to youngest. And as he sits them down, they're thinking, what the heck is going on? How does he know these things? When portions were served to them from Joseph's table, Benjamin's portion was five times as much as anyone else's. He's messing more. What the heck? Why is he getting five times? He's dad's favorite. Why is he his favorite? What is going on? And you could just feel the tension there. So they feasted and they drank freely with him. Drinking freely probably helped ease the tension that was taking place there with them. And, And as all this is happening, we start to see that there's some changes that are taking place and events that are going on, how this is going to be dealt with. And Joseph is setting the table, literally and figuratively, to find out what is in his brothers. He wants to know, and so we do too. Chapter 44, let's read verses 1 through 16. Now Joseph gave these instructions to the steward of his house. Fill the men's sack with as much food as they can carry, and put each man's silver in the mouth of his sack. That's the same thing that happened before. Then put my cup, the silver one, in the mouth of the youngest one's sack, along with the silver for his grain. And he did as Joseph said. As morning dawned, the men were sent on their way with their donkeys. They had not gone far from the city when Joseph said to his steward, go after those men at once. And when you catch up with them, say to them, Why have you repaid good with evil? Isn't this the cup my master drinks from and also uses for divination? In other words, so he can tell the future. Why is he saying that? Because he's messing with them. This is a wicked thing you have done. When he caught up with them, he repeated these words to them. But they said to him, Why does my Lord say such things? Far be it from your servants to do anything like that. We even brought back to you from the land of Canaan the silver we found inside the mouth of our sacks. So why would we steal silver or gold from you, my master's house? If any of your servants is found to have it, he will die, and the rest of us will become the Lord's slaves. Very well then, he said. Let it be as you say. Whoever is found to have it will become my slave. The rest of you will be free from blame setting the table up. Each of them quickly lowered a sack to the ground and opened it. Then the steward proceeded to search, beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. At this, they tore their clothes. Then they all loaded their donkeys and returned to the city. Joseph was still in the house when Judah and his brothers came in. And they threw themselves to the ground before him. Joseph said to them, What is this you have done? Don't you know that a man like me can find things out by divination? Totally messing with them. Hey, divination, we're your brothers. But he wants them to believe that he knows what is going on. 
What can we say to my Lord? Judah replied. What can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. What guilt is he talking about? What guilt is he bearing? He's confessing that we've done this because there is the cup. It's right there in the bag. But he's bearing more guilt than just this. We are now, my Lord's slaves. We ourselves and the one who was found to have the cup. And so we start to see that as this is uncovered, there is a dual meaning in Judah's words. He implies they're guilty, but at the same time, the reality of his previous guilt and crime is weighing on him. Even though he was never caught, he was never free. And if we could learn that lesson, you might get away with it, but you will never be free from it. And this story is showing the truth of that in the lives of these men. We'll continue reading to the end. But Joseph said, Far be it from me to do such a thing. Only the man who was found to have the cup will become my slave. The rest of you go back to your father in peace. Then Judah, here's Judah stepping in. Here's Judah, the one who instigated his slavery. Here's his brother who actually put him where he is at right now. Then Judah went up to him and said, Pardon your servant, my Lord. Let me speak a word to my Lord. Do not be angry with your servant, though you are equal to Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servant, Do you have a father or a brother? And we answered, We have an aged father. And there is a young son born to him in his old age. His brother is dead, and he is, only, he is the only one of his mother's sons left. And his father loves him. Judah is admitting what he knows, but maybe he's not wanted to admit for so long. His father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me so I can see him for myself. And we said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father. If he leaves him, his father will die. But you told your servants, unless your younger, youngest brother comes down with you, you will not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him what the Lord had said. Then our father said, go back and buy a little more food. But we said, we cannot go down only if our youngest brother is with us. Will we go? We cannot see the man's face unless the youngest brother is with us. Your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. One of them went away from me. And I said, he has surely been torn to pieces and I have not seen him since. If you take this one from me too, and harm comes to him, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in misery. So now, if the boy is not with us, when I go back to your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with this boy's life, sees the boy isn't there, he will die. Your servants will bring the gray head down of our father down to the grave in sorrow. Your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy. And let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come on my father. 
When Joseph refused to take them all as slaves, Judah pressed harder. And his speech reveals how Jacob had interpreted Joseph's disappearance, how much Joseph was still in his father's heart and thoughts. It revealed that Judah had come to accept Jacob's favoritism, had resented Jacob earlier because of the special way he'd been treated and how Judah had now matured. He was now able to accept his parents as persons with their flaws, with their mistakes. They were people. And sometimes that's a hard thing for us to do. And maybe it's not our parents, maybe it's other people who have hurt us and have wronged us. And the point has to come where we accept them as people. Because I've got to let you in on a secret. No matter who is in your life, who you respect, if you know them long enough, they will let you down. It's just going to happen. I know people have told me, and I'm always, you know, just thrilled when they say, oh man, I love Genesis. It's, man, it's like the, it's just the church I was looking for. And I just think, wow, that's great. I wonder how long you're here before you realize we're just people and we make a lot of mistakes. Because the time will come. We have to recognize each other as people and all that comes with that. And then we see Judah offer himself in place of Benjamin that he would stay as Joseph's slave just to let his younger brother go. He couldn't survive seeing his father suffer again. And this is what Joseph wanted to see. He wanted to see if you were still the same or if indeed you have changed. Are you able to change? And what this story tells us is yes. But boy, the road it took to get there. There's a saying that you've probably heard, and I believe through experience that it's really true, that people won't change until the pain of remaining the same exceeds the pain of the change. There comes a point when you just are sick of who you are so much that you desperately want to be someone else. But what's interesting is that you would want to be someone else. What is interesting is that guilt that doesn't go away, that that haunting voice, that whisper of God in your soul that says, this isn't who you're supposed to be that scratches on our soul like nails on a chalkboard. It echoes in our mind and we can't shake this feeling that I'm not supposed to be this person, 
the way I'm living, the things that I'm accepting, the things I'm doing, and something keeps pushing you and saying, you're not supposed to be here. And you might ignore it and you might numb it and you might try and pretend it's not there, but then something will happen and it'll push you again. And you still push back and you fight it and you might medicate more and you might drink more and you might do more things to try and keep yourself occupied, but it doesn't go away. Some people won't listen to the voice. Some people choose to never change. And some people finally say, I surrender. I give up. I don't want to bear this anymore. And that he would be willing now to sacrifice shows that he accepted the circumstances as they were and that he was capable of changing. But you see, no one else can fix me when I've betrayed myself. When I have done something that's betrayed who God has made me to be, I'm the one who has to own it and I'm the only one who can allow God then to fix it. Parents, you cannot do it for your children. You cannot fix your children's lives if they have betrayed their own souls. They have to own that themselves. Husbands, wives, you can't do that for your spouse. If they are betraying who they are supposed to be, they have to own it they have to be the ones that make the change. But the good news is that there can be change. The good news is the voice of God is hidden and buried there in our souls and in our conscience. And when the tragedy happens, his voice sometimes shouts. C.S. Lewis said that God whispers to us in our pleasure. He talks to us in our infirmities, but he shouts to us in our pains. They are God's megaphone to a lost and dying world. And sometimes those tragedies are God's voice shouting out to us saying, wake up and listen. And thank God he speaks. Thank God his voice is there. Thank God even in our memories, God is there to bring up that conscience to help us understand. The brothers needed to experience forgiveness within themselves to be able to move on. They had carried this guilt such a long time. It remained so close to the surface that as soon as this incident happened, we see that it's because of what we've done. It's because of what we've done. You cannot live a full life with that guilt. How do you find the forgiveness? How can you forgive yourself when you've betrayed yourself? Enter in God. Enter in Jesus. Enter in the God who says, I can deal with your betrayal. I will pay for it. I will own it. I will take it as it's mine. I know how bad it is because it is bad, but it's okay. It's mine now. And we see God showing up through this in those interesting ways, in the memories. They, they produce this feeling of anxiety, guilt, resentment, despair. But as they just go on, they become passengers of this life that is ridden by guilt 
And as they're doing this, God shows up in the circumstances. The providence of God brings them to the place, not only for Joseph's sake, but for their sake. We can't change what we did in the past, but we can change how we experience our memories. How is that possible? By allowing God to be the one who helps us through those memories. By recognizing that we have a God who not only sees, a God who not only hears, but a God who cares enough to bear our burdens so that we can walk freely again. First and foremost, we have to fully experience the compassion and forgiveness that comes from Jesus. We don't have to live for years as a victim of our past like Joseph's brother did. Their suffering resulted from their refusal to listen to that voice that said what you did was wrong. You need to fix it. You need to make it right. No, I can push it aside. I can push it aside. And they couldn't. Let's listen to what God's Spirit is saying. Let's listen to the still, small voice that is speaking maybe even to your heart right now. There's something that is going on in you that is stirring up. And even as I'm talking about this thing, maybe there's a memory that comes to the surface that is haunting you. And maybe God is speaking in this time saying, I want to deal with this. Will you own it? Will you allow my forgiveness to cover it? Will you give me your shame? Because I want it. When we sit with God in silence, it's like his examination room. We're able to listen, hear what he has to say. Even as David prays, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, know my anxious thoughts, and see if there be any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. Let's pray. Father, we want to hear your voice before circumstances force us to. We want to change before the pain is too great of remaining in the same way. And so we come before you as we hear your voice speaking to us or maybe we will take time to allow your voice to speak to us and we hear what you're saying. And and first and foremost, we receive the mercy that is there for us through Jesus. We receive the forgiveness that is given by you. We Take the guilt that we've been bearing, 
that has been weighing on our memories and weighing in our conscience and has been like weight on our soul. And we hand it to you and we say, this is, this is me. This is who I've been. This is what I've done. And I, I don't want to be this anymore. Please take it. And we know that if anyone comes to you, you will never cast them out. That you have been knocking on the door and if we would open, you would come in and you would eat with us and we could eat with you. That we could now have a conscience that is clear, not because we've done nothing wrong, but because we have given it to you and you have taken the responsibility for it. And Lord, I pray this morning that we would be free from this guilt, that there are people here this morning who are living in bondage to their past, things that they have done, things that have been done to them. We, we live in our own prison. And Father, you are our way out. You are able to set us free. Lord, we don't want to continue betraying ourselves. We don't want to keep lying to ourselves about what we've done, what has been done. We own it and say, this is me. This is my life. This is who I am. Will you be my God? Will you take me as your child? Will you bring me in? Forgive, cleanse, and love me. And for the answer, we see Jesus. And he so loved that he gave his life. And we accept that forgiveness this morning. I pray, Lord, you would set us free so that our lives would be able to represent you more effectively. We're going to continue worshiping. And as we stand together and sing a few more songs, I pray that our hearts would release to God all these things that have maybe been holding us, that we would allow healing to take place even through this time of worship as we would commune with God and allow him to do the same with us. Lord, heal us even now, we pray in Jesus' name.